welcome to the Casual Fridays REI podcast, where you'll learn about the wildly profitable niche of land investing. Active land investors Adam Southey and Justin Sleva are here to share their experiences with you so that you can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this highly lucrative niche. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Adam Southey and Justin Sleva. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Adam Southey here with my co-host, Justin. And Sleva, and this is the Casual Fridays REI podcast. Today, we're really excited because we've got Mike Marshall from Toulouse Property Group. Mike is a senior planner and land developer for the cities just north of LA, and he is an expert at urban infill lots. We're so happy to have him. Uh, before we jump into that, though, let's talk about the Plum Investment Group. Guys, do you have a property that you need funding for? Plum Investment Group is your solution. Plum helps land investors grow their business by funding your raw land purchase. Truly an awesome deal, guys. And just to be clear, this isn't a loan. Plum will actually partner with you on your project. So do yourself a favor. Go check them out. Website's www.plumminvestmentgroup.com. It's hump day. That's what, that's what you go with. I'm going with hump day today. We haven't done that in a few weeks. <laughs> it's uh, it's awesome, man. I'm excited about today's show. We've got Mike here. And you know, for, for us and people that have bought our course and listened to us, we always talk about bass boat properties, the recreational property. But what they don't know is the urbanized lot secret weapon that I keep in my pocket is Mike Marshall. He is the guy I go to when I need something like this. Yeah, I, I, this is my first time meeting and talking with Mike, but uh, he's one of those names that I've heard quite a bit. And so I'm excited to have him on and get to know you and talk with you. So welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Man, it's great to have you. Uh, so kind of give us a quick rundown of like what makes Mike Marshall, Mike Marshall in a land investing niche. Sure, sure. No problem. You know, I think I come from, I come to land investing maybe from a little bit of a different experience and perspective. You know, I spent 15 years working for municipalities, both in California and Texas. And during that time, I was working in land development, everything from small subdivisions like lot splits all the way up to things I'm doing right now are like 1200 lot, you know, um, subdivisions for large land developers, you know. And so it's been everything in between on the residential side as well as commercial as well. So there's been a lot of commercial development. I'm working on a 40,000 square foot medical office building right now as well. So everything that I've done has been more from like the government regulatory side. And Mm -hmm. so if you ever hear things about like land use entitlements and um, subdivision approvals for tentative maps, things like that, I'm very much on the very early side of development is what I deal with. So everything I do is really previous or prior to actual trenching in the ground. So it's all the approvals that you need to do to get to that point. So a lot of what I deal with is all the due diligence on the front end, figuring out what you can do with the property, what you can't do with the property, and then bringing it through that whole process and getting your approvals and ready to go. Wow. How does, so like I, when I hear you give that description, I'm like going, Jesus Christ, he's smarter than everybody else here in the land investing. I thought I thought that too. It's funny you say that because I was like, I go, the things you just mentioned are the things that scare a lot of people. And yeah. So yeah. so my almost my initial question was, is it is it that scary or is it just something that you learn along it's, the way? Or yeah, I think it's something that you learn along the way. You know, it's scary at the outset just because I think in for most people dealing with the government is intimidating to begin with. I would say that that it depends on where you're working is a lot different. I would rather work, for example, in Texas all day long rather than working in California, yeah. just because the, the regulations for subdivisions alone are so much better in Texas, a, a variety of other things too. But you know, it just really depends on where you're at. And so it differs. And I think that's the hardest part too, is that you know, one city will differ very much so than the next city that's right next to it, you know. And a lot of it is 
um, relationship driven. Ultimately, if you really want to get things through on a consistent basis, it has a lot to do with those relationships and and managing that kind of process. So there's the technical side, but then there's the soft skill side too. And I think that's kind of what makes it intimidating. But once you do it and you get, you know, one or two of them done, it starts to get much easier. So let me kind of backtrack a little bit. What got you from Texas to California to go work out there? Sure. So when I was in California, I was started off doing the, the in land development, but it was real basic minor type stuff because it was really early on. This was probably about 2006. 2007, we were just looking for a move. My wife and I were recently married. You know, we didn't have any kids and we started looking for just different places to move. We um, were looking in like Tennessee and Texas and we had family that lived in Austin or just outside of, and we ultimately landed out there. And so during that time in Texas, it did a lot of large subdivisions out in the extraterritorial jurisdiction areas, you know? And so it was a lot different of a process, but we were doing a lot of subdivisions during that time in that area. Coming back to California, we just came back to California just for, you know, family reasons and stuff like that. We'd come back to California. And then at that time, it was much more like urbanized development projects that I was working on. It just so happens that the city that I'm in is one of the last few cities in L.A. County that has room to grow geographically. And so because of that, you know, we're seeing still a good amount of residential development. So like as it sits right now. I'm working on a 1,200 unit project. I'm working on another 500 unit project. I'm working on another 300 unit project. So there's still a lot of residential development. And as countrywide, I mean, throughout the whole country, there's a shortage of housing, but especially in California, it's a lot of what's driving legislation right now. And so that's a large part of what I do too, is trying to track the trends that are going on at the legislative level to try to see how that impacts what we're doing. Man, that's it's an interesting concept or interesting thought you bring up. You say that California is short on housing, and all we hear about in Texas is all the California people flooding away from California. They're headed to Colorado, Oregon, Texas, and it's just it's we hear that over and over. For to hear you say that you have a housing shortage is kind of surprising to me. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, it's funny because I was just talking about that yesterday. I mean, they say there's a housing shortage, and it almost implies as though there's people sitting on the street waiting for yeah. a house, and it doesn't feel like that. But in reality, I think that is true. And I think maybe the other probably important part is is about affordable housing, Okay. you know, relatively affordable housing. And I think that's really the main push from the state. And so what you're seeing in California right now is that the state is trying to streamline the process. And there's a fight going on between the state and local jurisdictions where local jurisdictions want to retain control in terms of what development looks like in their cities. But the state is basically saying, you know, no, it's going to have to be much more streamlined. It's going to have to look like this, this and this because they're trying to make it so that way you can get units on the ground faster and there's compromises and that go along with that, you know? So it's a lot yeah. of back and forth. Are there home builders already uh, involved with you? By the time this, that you get involved and the city's involved, you know, put a subdivision together, has a, mm-hmm. have y'all already, someone already bought this land? Are there home builders involved or is the city hoping to sell it to subdivide or to home builders or? Yeah. A lot of times you'll have like a builder that'll sit on that property for a long time because they're just waiting the market out, you know? So, so what happened, like, say, in, like, 2007, 2008, everything goes to garbage. And then what happens is, is you had some of these builders that were coming up and trying to pick up the distressed properties, right? But we're talking, like, large acreage. You know, we're talking, you know, 500 acres or more or whatever, trying to get a lot of units on there. And so what happens is, is that they're picking up these distressed assets. They're sitting and waiting for the market to turn. And during that time, they're processing all of their entitlement approvals. And so a lot of times what happens is they'll get all their approvals, but they'll just sit on that waiting for the market to come around. And then once it does, they'll pull the trigger and they'll start building. Well, I'm going to stop you real quick because you said a term there, entitlement improvements. 
Can you walk us through what that just kind of a basic level, what that is, in case some of our listeners don't understand what that means? Yeah, of course. So entitlement's almost like it implies, it's just like when you're given the right to do something on the property. So an entitlement saying you're going through the city or the county, whoever the approval authority is, and you're saying, hey, I want to do this. And they're going to go through a review and approval process. And the product that comes out at the end is something that's called an entitlement. And literally, it's just a piece of paper that says you're allowed to do this. And here's a set of conditions of approval that you have to adhere to when you go out and build or develop. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. So my question goes from, so as a guy sitting at the desk, you're planning these things with these builders, how does the entrepreneur and you just say, hey, you know what, how did you go from that to land investor? Sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I started out working, coming out of college, working for the city, doing something completely different than real estate and land planning and everything like that. But I always knew that I wanted to be an investor and be in investing. And so I just tried to work within the city to get to a position where I was somewhat related to in real estate and development or whatever. And so planning was the obvious place. And so I made my way to that. And, you know, for me, I grew up with my dad, you know, investing in property and everything like that. So that's where I got my introduction to it. A lot of it came down to, in terms of going to land specifically, it was just the the ease of entry, probably. Yeah. Trying to, being able to kind of get my feet wet at a, at a low cost, but then also um, being able to bring my experience to the table too, to hopefully utilize that and kind of leverage that into doing some good things. So do you feel that your experience, it means you know a little bit too yeah. much like sometimes like I, sometimes yeah. i feel like for land investing for me that it was better to be kind of dumb on some of the stuff and you just battled through it to figure it out it's a curse it's a blessing and a curse <laughs> in, in truth you know because you're absolutely right because the fact that i i know this stuff means that i'm always looking for it mm-hmm. you know and so it, it kind of can keep you from doing certain deals that you maybe if you just kind of put your head down and push through it you know you would end up okay you know so i yeah. tend to have that more of a conservative view of it. I tend to also have the view that that if I can't build on it, then what's the use? Well, what's yeah. the point of it? And and that's not true. That's something that I had to kind of wash away from my brain. You know, I, I came from that developer's mindset. Well, if I can't build on it, then it's junk. Well, obviously that's not true. Yeah. Because there's a variety of different uses that are there. The recreational user is the perfect example, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you know that you're going out there and you're investing in property to get to your end buyer is the recreational user, then a lot of what I deal with just isn't going to apply. You know, there are some basic things that are there to it, but if your buyer isn't intending to build on the property and especially if it's extremely rural where the regulations are going to be much more lax, you're not going to deal with a lot of the stuff that I deal with. Yeah. The more the more urbanized you get, the the greater the regulations get and that becomes more problematic obviously. But yeah, man, it could be a curse for sure. You got to be real <laughs> careful. I think that a lot of people have this stigma that the infill lots are harder because there's more problems to deal with. Is there certain things that you would say to look for up front? I mean, I don't want to put you on yeah. spot, but are there, are there problems that people may think of in their head that aren't really problems or is there a way to, you know, can you just give us some more about it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually wrote down like five things, you know, that I'd go into, you know, if I were just looking at an infill lot, the first thing I would do is I'd call the city or the county, make sure I'm talking to the right jurisdiction first off. But the first thing I do is really ask them what the zoning is and find out what the allowable land uses are. So I'm going to call them up. I'm going to say, what's the zoning for this property? What can you tell me about this property? Kind of do like open-ended questions and let them kind of tell you what they know. The reality is, is that every jurisdiction has kind of a, um, whether it's an actual list or it's just properties that they know of that are kind of problematic properties that never move or they constantly go to tax sale and everything like that. They know which properties those are. 
So if you call them up and you're asking, hey, I'm looking at this one property over here, a lot of times they go, oh, yeah, I know this one. People are always asking about it. Here's the issue with it. And you'll get that answer and you'll, you know, you'll know just to walk away. So that's kind of the thing that you're shooting for, you know, but certainly ask about the zoning. Ask about what the allowable land uses are. Don't just quit with saying, you know, hey, what's the zoning and settle for residential. You, you need to know other things probably like, is there any other kind of things that they call zoning overlays? So you could have a residential zoning designation, but they can have an overlay that lays on top of it that has other restrictions to it, you know? Okay. And so you kind of want to dig into it a little bit that way. The second thing I'd look at is probably whether or not the lot was a legally created lot. So that tends to be about when the lot was originally created, did it actually comply with the subdivision regulations that were in place at the time that it was created? <laughs> we, we, I, I you, just dealt with it that. just dealt with that. You in just the, dealt with that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. In Northern California, and my, I didn't know to check that, and my buyer did. Well, the guy was going to buy it from me, and he's he came back and said, it's not a, it's not a legally created parcel. I'm like, how do you know, first of all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we worked it out. He still bought it. I guess there's a way to to yeah. uh, get around it, but um, yeah, yeah, that was that was news for me. Yeah, it was neat that the yeah. recommendation was just essentially a survey. Uh, mm-hmm. Was with that would they would allow a survey and that makes it illegally well, uh, illegal. Some, yeah, there's a few more things. Yeah, yeah it starts with a survey. Yeah. Yeah. So what they're doing is they're they're saying basically you're trying to get something in California called a certificate of compliance. Yeah. Yep. And it's basically what they're trying to say is that hey, even if your lot wasn't the same configuration prior to the adoption of our subdivision regulations, even if it was illegally created, quote unquote, here's some conditions that you, you know, somebody would have to meet if they were to go and build on it. And so that's what the certificate of compliance is saying is like, yeah, you can build on it, but you may have to do a couple little improvements or something like that. Nine times out of 10, it's not a deal killer, but if you don't get it rectified and you don't find the remedy, then you're not going to be able to get a building permit. And that's usually what the, the big problem is. Wow. So I'm going to switch gears on you. I want to know about your favorite investment deal you've done. Probably like one of my favorite ones is one I recently did um, is actually downtown LA. It was maybe not terribly recent, maybe six months or so ago. There's a property that's probably less than a mile from Dodger Stadium. And it was this little um, house that was there on this lot. And the house was just demolished. It was total garbage, eventually fell over literally. And it was owned by um, a church. Um, that was just around kind of down the street and they were basically looking to liquidate it because they had other ideas and things that they wanted to do with the money. And um, the cool part about it was not just getting that lot because that lot is something that we can put about 12 um, multifamily units on so we could develop that lot. But what's really cool is that they're now in discussions with us to sell another lot that's right around the corner. So they basically just kept getting donations over the years of people donating different lots. And it's technically a church, but they also have a large nonprofit that's attached to it. And then they do a lot of work with veterans. They do a lot of work with substance abuse and stuff like that. So they try to liquidate their money and they have certain purposes for it that has nothing to do with real estate. So they had no productive use in mind. And so for us, it was just kind of cool because we were able to be involved with a a cool organization, but then also get something that we can develop on the smaller lot. And then also maybe something in the future on the bigger one. Nice. Yeah. That's a good one. Any Any nightmares? Uh, it seems like it. Um, when I very first, when I first got involved and I was trying to just like test the waters, I was doing like a lot of people picking up those desert properties, you know, mm-hmm. and I picked up one that was just right up the kind of up the road from me, only maybe like an hour away in Kern County. Okay. And it was a little five acre lot and it was fine and well, but I ended up trying to, it was my first person that called me back. She wanted to buy it because she wanted to film on the property and she wanted to use it for some movie that she wanted to do. 
-hmm. And I was saying, well, hey, if you buy it, I don't care. Just check with the county, kind of figure it out yourself. This lady like drug me out for, and I was just naive about it. I should have like really cut her off a lot sooner, but I ended up talking to her for probably like, gosh, probably for a good four months going back and forth with this lady and trying to sell this dang thing. And in the meantime, I wasn't putting effort, you know, into like really getting it to the right people. You know what I mean? So that was a big lesson I learned was like, you know, know exactly who you're going to kind of target. Ultimately, I just sold this thing to a guy who um, rode motocross bikes and there was a big old motocross track in the area and everything like that. So he was like the perfect buyer for it, yeah. you know. So he so wanted to take the place well. for his camper. He yeah, exactly, right. man. Right. He was like the exact guy that he needed to get it to. But in the, you know, the very first one, I was like, oh, this lady wants to buy it and everything like that. And she's doing movies and all this stuff. And she was just dragging me on and on and on. So <laughs> I, I learned a lot from that one. So. You know, one of the cool things about what we do is we all kind of share our experience in different ways and share our knowledge base. And I know that's something you do. Like I do a deal review and I tell people this is not a Mike Marshall deal review. This is not one where I go in and look at zoning and things like that. I look at what I use, like the recreational property. So kind of tell us what you do with Toulouse Property Group and the the products that you offer there, because I think it's important because we have a pretty good sized listener base that – Kind of, we get a comment, hey, what about infill lots and what about, you know, these urban lots and how do we go from there? What are the things, building restrictions, power lines, things like that? And that's something that we really consider your specialty. So kind of tell us about that. Sure. So through the website at TolosaPropertyGroup.com, you just click on services and there's really two services that I offer. You know, the first one is very preliminary. You know, you give me the, the county and the APN. I'll just kind of do a very cursory look at it. And what I do is I just record a short, probably 15 to 20 minute video. And I I shoot it back to you, but I'm not doing the full due diligence myself. What I'm doing is I'm saying, here are the things that I look at. I go through the same bullet point list that I I do on a full due diligence um, report. But this one is just me talking through it saying, hey, here's something I look at. I don't think this is an issue here. Oh, here's something that you want to look at. Do some more due diligence here. I'll tell them people in the video like, hey, when you call the county, talk to this department, ask this exact question. You're looking for this or you're looking for that. And so that first product is more of an advisory type of service, and it really more is to give somebody the insight into how they would go about doing the due diligence themselves rather than having me do it through my second product. You know, the, the second product is an actual full due diligence report where I'll go through the whole thing, and it's a 15 to 20 page report, mm-hmm. and I'm answering all those questions myself. And that one is probably more for larger properties specifically mm-hmm. just because of the cost, you know, involved in it. And just so it makes sense for people. But, you know, the cursory review, the first product is just 150 bucks. And it's just, you know, me going through it, a 15 to 20 minute video, giving you guidance as far as how you'd want to go about doing the due diligence yourself, what you'd want to look at. The second one is um, an actual full report. That one's about 1500 bucks. But that one's like, again, it's a 15 to 20 page report and it goes through the whole thing. And it could be for, you know, rural vacant land. It could be for commercial property. It could be info lots. It could be for whatever you want it to be. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a really good uh, tool to have in your yeah. toolbox. I mean, that could be very valuable, that information you get. I, like I said, he's so much smarter than us. Like, <laughs> I do it live with people. For 75 bucks, I do it live with them on Zoom so they can watch yeah. what I'm doing. Right, and right. Yours, you're like, you do it in your own time and just send the video back. So I'm sitting there on Thursday time and like <laughs> trying to raise a family and doing that. And you're, here you are. You're just That's like, I'll oh, get it when the kids go to bed. No. Yeah, I try to do it that way. It's yeah. hard to get schedules together, man. Yeah. That's what was happening, you know, and it was just too much. And so I said, you know what, I'm just going to record it. And actually with the the larger product too, the full report, I'll actually include a similar, you know, video for people too. And just the difference is, again, I'm not giving you advice as far as what to do. I've already done it. So I'm like literally walking through the report for you. Yeah. When you do that report, do you give them an estimate of what you do you do value to like cost 
uh, analysis? Like, would you say, hey, this is where I think it's valued at? And do you do anything with the value or just strictly the due diligence piece from the government side? That's a great question. Yeah. You know, it's strictly the due diligence piece. I, I leave the pricing. I mean, guys like you guys are, are have more and more experience doing that, you know, than, than I do. I mean, I can tell people if they ask that question, but I really try to stay away from that. Okay. I'm also trying to like really just specialize and, and just be, I'm, I do this. This is my, mm-hmm. my niche. This is what I can answer for you. In terms of like valuation and stuff like that, I, I generally don't get into that. There's other people out there that can give them much better advice on that than I probably could. Which is great. There's a lot of people that struggle with due diligence, you know, and they get nervous, not sure if they have the right property or they checked everything. So sounds right. like you've got something great going on right there. Yeah, I, I love the idea. And so this is how I how I look at a property when I get it. If I'm going to need Mike Marshall to do my due diligence, I don't buy it because it's going to be too, <laughs> it's too, get too many tricks to it. I don't want to get right. involved in that. And that's nothing against you because I think no. what you bring to the niche is an amazing piece. And it's a spin on something that you're very proficient at. And it helps reduce a lot of risk for a lot of people because if we all sit around and we pretend we're having a beer and we're talking about the properties as burn us, we've all been burnt by something that we didn't find on our initial brush through due diligence. And typically that costs you more money than it does. Like I think we had one where a city put a moratorium on a water, uh, water and sewer. We went to the county and didn't go to the city and didn't find it. And we didn't find it till the investor next door decided to buy it from us. We still made like 25% on the deal. And that's not horrible in three or four months, but you know, as land investors, we're all really greedy, and we think that 25% profit in five months is crap. When it yeah. realistically, in a, in a world of investing, it's not. Right, right. I mean, one thing I'd say too, as far as the applicability, you know, the, again, the more urbanized you get, like urban infill residential lots, but if you hit like commercial land, mm-hmm. then the complexity just skyrockets at that point. You know, and so when I say commercial, I'm not necessarily saying like built for multifamily. I'm saying literally like retail, commercial, industrial, anything like that. If you're coming across those kind of properties, then this becomes that much more applicable, you know, and important probably too. Yeah, we saw, I guess the the industry saw a big rush about a year and a half ago of infill, infill lots. Everybody mm-hmm. was pushing for infill lots. You know, hey, this is the new hot thing. This is what's going to be. And yeah. you made a point then, and I was asking the same question in my head, and I, I giggled when I heard you say it out loud. He's like, <laughs> well, you... When you see something like that in the middle of a neighborhood, you got to ask yourself, why aren't they building on it? Why yeah. hasn't it been built on? Because a developer is not in the business to just leave a vacant lot from 1978 sitting yeah. in the middle of a neighborhood. So, yeah, it's a it's a difference of like if you see that there's a lot that's sitting there and it's in the you know been recently built out, the rest of the houses are recently built out. It's a newer subdivision, and just the economy or their finances of their company have, have you know spun out and they're just not building. That's one thing. But if it's sitting there, and like you said, it's like a subdivision from the 70s and this lot is sitting there, there's always a reason, you know, and a lot of those are the ones that go to tax sale, somebody picks them up, somebody tries to sell them, they don't sell, they go back to tax sale, and they just spin and spin and spin. And, you know, I throw a couple of those examples on the, the Facebook page, I, I try to like let people know about those, because again, there's always a reason, you might get lucky, and you might find that gem infill lot, you know, and that certainly does happen. But um, my big question when I'd call the county is, all right, why is this why is this not been built on? What's yep. the story? Yeah. I want to make sure we send people to the right spot while it's on my mind. It's Telosa Property Group, right? That's T-O- correct. dot com. That's correct. Okay. And what is your Facebook group? Because you do have a private Facebook group. Yeah, the private Facebook group is Faster Land Sellers. And the whole idea, the whole premise was like, hey, if we know what's going on on the front end, we could target our marketing on the back end and try to get it to the right person faster. Yeah, I love it. That's, I mean, it's just, it almost sounds too simple. You're like, well, yeah, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, no, it's yeah. exactly what you're supposed to do, but we all forget it because we're lazy and we're going to do it our own way until we mess right. up enough that we say, you know what, listen, listen to the guy that knows. And yeah. in that case, it's you. 
Perfect. Cool. Well, Mike, uh, I think we've covered a lot, and yeah. uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Yeah, I, I look forward to see the your growth on your your Facebook group has been you know extremely fast, and it's it's good to see that because they're in good hands, and I like seeing that, and I hope to continue to see the Toulouse Property Group, the service you provide, keep growing as well. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, no problem. All right, guys, make sure you go check Mike out at uh, TulisaPropertyGroup.com and Faster Land Sellers on Facebook and uh, give him a like and a follow. And then, as always, go to Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Give us a like, give us a follow, and a subscribe. Then go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go to wherever else you're listening to us. Like, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We appreciate it. We love you. We'll see you Friday. See you guys.